Are J.D. Greer and the Summit Church protecting someone who participated in a massive cover-up of sex crimes? And is their investigation of Brian Loritz legitimate? Or is it a sham investigation intended to obscure the facts? Welcome to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Royce, and today's podcast is a follow-up to a podcast I released last Thursday. That podcast featured two eyewitnesses who had a front row seat to an alleged cover-up of sex crimes involving Brian Loritz. Loritz is an author and speaker and a new executive pastor at J.D. Greer's Summit Church. And according to my guests, Loritz in 2010 covered up sex crimes by his brother-in-law, Rick Trotter. Those crimes involved secretly recording multiple women and likely children in a bathroom at Fellowship Memphis. Fellowship Memphis is the church where Loritz was lead pastor and Trotter was the worship pastor. My guests today say Loritz helped to destroy evidence, silence victims and whistleblowers, and even tried to secretly funnel money to Trotter and his wife, Heather Loritz. If you missed that first podcast, I urge you to go back and listen to it. You can find it at julieroys, spelled R-O-Y-S, dot com. It is truly stunning what happened at Brian Loritz's former church, and it is stunning that despite having Trotter's camera with numerous secretly recorded videos on it, Trotter's crimes were never reported by anyone at Fellowship Memphis in 2010. And today, we'll pick up the story there, and you'll hear how Loritz and Fellowship Memphis allowed Trotter, an admitted sexual predator, to get hired by another church in Memphis. In fact, Loritz himself hired Trotter to lead worship at a conference Loritz organized in 2015. It's absolutely mind-numbing. But perhaps the most surprising thing is that despite everything Loritz has done, Summit Church, the church pastored by J.D. Greer, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest Protestant denomination in the U.S., has just hired Brian Loritz as an executive pastor. And according to my guest today, they met with leaders at Greer's church on a conference call about two weeks ago. They tried to warn them about what Loritz had done, but Summit reportedly was not receptive to what my guests had to say. So are Greer and the Summit Church covering up the cover-up? I'll explore that today with Jennifer and Greg, and you'll hear all about that conference call with Summit's leaders. But first, let me thank the sponsors of this podcast, Judson University and Marquardt of Barrington. If you're looking for a car, you can't find a more honest dealership than my friends at Marquardt of Barrington. And you can shop their entire selection of cars by going to buyacar123.com. That's buyacar123.com. Also, I want to remind you that Judson's next World Leaders Forum is October 20th at the Renaissance Schomburg Convention Center. The speaker for that event will be General David Petraeus, a four-star general and former director of the CIA. I know that's a few months away, but I want to encourage you to mark your calendars now. For more information, just go to judsonu.edu. Again, that's judsonu.edu. Well, returning to our topic today, again, joining me is Greg Selby and Jennifer Baker, and we pick up our discussion where I note that Trotter, after being fired from Fellowship Memphis for sex crimes, then goes to downtown church where he again repeats those same crimes. One of the most mind-numbing parts of this whole horrible situation with Rick Trotter is that he leaves Fellowship Memphis in 2010. He gets hired at a new church plant in 2011. And then we know it came out in 2016, so five years later, that he did the same thing at this new church that he had done at Fellowship Memphis and victimized more women. The mother church that was planning the new church is Second Presbyterian Church in Memphis. That is pastored by Sandy Wilson. It was at the time. Sandy, he's since retired. Okay. The new church was called Downtown Presbyterian, later changed to Downtown Church. Greg, you're watching this happen. So you saw Rick Trotter leave Fellowship Memphis and now go to this church plant and begin leading worship there. You did something about it. You called Sandy Wilson. What happened when you called? 
he deferred and said that that was not his department to go ahead and talk to Richard Reeves at what was in downtown Prez, later downtown church. Richard Reeves is the pastor of the church plant, which was downtown right. Prez, which then became downtown church. So yeah, go ahead. You talk to Richard Reeves. It was such a casual dismissal. It was astonishing to me because, again, it was one thing that I'd seen this happen at Fellowship, and I believe, well, maybe it's because everybody was literally familiarly related. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why a lot of the cover-up had happened and that complicated issues. But to see somebody outside the church be a part of it, I mean, I can't imagine leading a church. If I had a church plant, somebody said, hey, by the way, you have a sexual predator leading worship at your church plant, that I wouldn't say, I'm going to get right on this. We're going to get to the bottom of it. And when you say there's a familial relationship at Fellowship Memphis, you're speaking of Rick Trotter, who was the brother-in-law of Brian Loritz. But there were some other pretty tight connections between some of the players inside and outside of Fellowship Memphis, too. And those include Crawford Loritz, who's the father of Brian Loritz, but there's others, too. So let me point some of those out. Fellowship Memphis is an Acts 29 church. John Bryson was on Acts 29 board. Acts 29 and the Gospel Coalition are two organizations that are part of the Reformed movement. They partner to provide resources for churches. Many of the same leaders are on Acts 29 and the Gospel Coalition. Well, the Gospel Coalition, a board member, is Crawford Loritz. He's he's a council member. Sandy Wilson, who you just talked about, is actually on the Council Emeritus of the Gospel Coalition. Crawford Loritz's connection, not only is he in the board of the Gospel Coalition, which has a connection to this church that Rick Trotter ends up at, but also another place that Trotter has worked, and my understanding, you can fill me in more on this, Greg, where he had actually recorded women as well, is Chick-fil-A. Well, who's on the board of Chick-fil-A? Crawford Loritz. Right. So do you see this as just, I mean, is it possible that Brian is unaware of what's going on and how Rick is going from church to church to church? Not at all. Uh, and then if you look, Sandy Wilson is also listed as being part of the staff of Downline Ministries. So it's all part of the same thing. It's all part of the same thing. He's at various points tried to deny he ever knew that. When you say he, you mean Brian? Brian, that Brian knew his wicked brother-in-law was going on to go do this. At, at other points, he said, I told downtown everything I knew. And in fact, I've always wanted him prosecuted. And I told him that, which is also implausible because the teaching pastor at downtown Prez, nay, downtown church, was Chris Davis, who was Brian's protege. Mm-hmm. So what he's asking you to believe is my protege, who I helped go get a job at this new church plant, when I called and told him, don't hire this sexual predator, said, I don't care that you're my mentor, Brian, I'm hiring him anyway. Mm. That's that's completely unbelievable. Well, Chris Davis was at Fellowship when originally when Rick Trotter was discovered the first time. So Chris David knew intimately the details about what happened to Rick Trotter because he was there. So Chris Davis, you're talking about the intern or resident or something? He was a resident at uh, Fellowship Memphis on staff before he went to downtown Presbyterian. Before he went to downtown Presbyterian, where Rick Trotter again, in 2011, got hired, stayed there, and then went on full-time staff. They've made, actually, it's interesting, the the summit statement initially said that he was hired several years later by downtown church. Now it's saying that Rick Trotter was a contractor initially, but then he was hired full-time. Greg, you said these distinctions are kind of irrelevant. Am I right? It's parsing. That's what they said about Pete Newman, too. Well, he was just a contractor. Well, at what point do you hire pedophiles as contractors? At what point do you hire sexual predators as contractors and put them out? Now, hiring Rick Trotter as, quote unquote, a contractor who's your worship leader, all that really means is he didn't get health benefits. Because on the website at the time, and this is viewable in snapshots, and you can go back in the Wayback Machine, he was listed on their website as their worship pastor. Yeah. He also had an official email address at the church. At one point, you had also contacted Crawford Loritz and Brian Loritz. You had sent them a letter. This was back in 2010. What was in that letter, and what did you urge them to do? The letter was mostly counseling in terms of the financial elements of what was going on. I wanted to see Rick restored. Now, mm-hmm. restored is different from being in ministry and even necessarily being in public. I thought he deserved to go to prison, and my hope would be that God would get a hold of him, and he might have the greatest prison ministry of all time, <laughs> uh, that God could use that. But I started seeing that they were throwing away evidence and, and doing this sort of thing, that that was not going to happen. So where do we go from there? 
part of in my letter, I mentioned to them that I would suggest that they not throw the evidence in the Mississippi River, um, that mm. it would be best in a safe deposit box. I tried to approach it from a back end for their perspective that, by the way, you have a lot of liabilities here, too, mm. that, that you ought to be able to protect the church from the liabilities that might arise by having the evidence. Hmm. to be able to accommodate victims or people that wanted to know. I mentioned in there that, by the way, it was immoral to go ahead and try and pay your sister to avoid looking like you're paying Rick and that sort of thing. So uh, the letter went into a lot of details that were really about me wanting to see, okay, if they're throwing away the evidence, if this isn't going to end up in the papers, if this isn't going to happen, how do we come up with what's best? Uh, Crawford called me back uh, after he received it and went on to tell me how his daughter had always been a failure, the one that was married to Rick, which I found odd to tell a stranger, mm-hmm. and two, would actually be sort of disqualifying from the ministry for him. So at that point, without getting into details of all the family members, three out of the four had issues that should have disqualified Crawford from being in ministry, and I would have encouraged him to step down from the pulpit for a while and take care of his family. Hmm. Apparently, he didn't mind his wayward son-in-law getting on with Chick-fil-A, again, which he was on the board of, or getting on with Second Prez and their church plant, hmm. and had no problem with that. So I did have a problem with that. I sent a letter to the elders at Fellowship admonishing them for passing this guy along. At that point, the Joe Paterno scandal at Penn State University. Uh, he was the football coach that had turned a blind eye to a uh, pedophile on his staff. Right. I said, if you guys turn a blind eye, you guys are Joe Paterno. Hmm. Don't turn a blind eye to this. God will hold you accountable. I sent that, and Brian did receive that because I'd sent it to three different emails. I sent it to every email address he had, uh, mm-hmm. or everyone that I was aware of, at least three of them at that point. And their response was to send the elder fixer out to talk to me about it, who said, this must stop. Hmm. By this must stop, he didn't mean this must stop, we must stop passing predators along. He, he meant this must stop, you must shut up. You must shut up. And we're going to continue to employ Rick Trotter. And then again, he did it again. And when you mentioned Crawford and Brian Loritz, somewhat ironic, this week, Moody Publishers just published a book called The Dad Difference, written by Brian Loritz, with a foreword by Crawford Loritz. Right. Again, these are two men with a national platform. Amazing. Can't wait to get my right. hands on that. <laughs> and, and when I mentioned that he said that about his daughter, uh-huh. I hope that she's grown quite a bit, too. I think she was part and parcel to some of this and, and turning a blind eye uh-huh. intentionally. I want to point out that in 2015, that was the last year that Brian Loritz was at Fellowship Memphis. He left there, went to a church in New York City, stayed there for about a year, then went to a church in California, and he now has been hired by Summit Church, where J.D. Greer is the pastor. But in 2015, the last year he's at Fellowship Memphis, Brian has an organization called Kainos, K-A-I-N-O-S, and he did a conference 2015, and he posted on—he had a Tumblr account at that point, and he posted— Uh, just some meditations on Kainos 2015, this conference, and he said some thoughts on the conference. The worship was Christ-exalting and prepared our hearts to receive what the Lord had for us. Shout out to Rick Trotter, Darnell Harris, and the worship teams for their labor. Rick Trotter, the man who he knew, Brian knew, had made multiple videos of women secretly in the bathroom at fellowships offices, at Rick Trotter's homes. Rick Trotter had confessed this. So Brian, knowing all of this, has Rick Trotter be the worship leader at Kainos. And I've heard he may have been at other other conferences too, maybe in 2014. We know he was in 2015 because this Tumblr post was up. Interestingly, as I started investigating this, Brian also had it when he transitioned his Tumblr account onto a new blog. He put this post up. It it had been posted up until just about a week ago, and then it vanished off of there as I started digging and looking into that. However, he forgot to delete his Tumblr account, so I was able to go get this (laughs) and look at it. What does that say to you, Greg? It says to me that he was intentionally hiring him along the way. He could have stopped him at any point, so this this whole I wanted him prosecuted and I would have never hired him is hogwash because he, in fact, did hire him, because it it benefited his family financially. It helped his sister out. This whole thing has has been, as I told him at the time when he and I met again in his office at that occasion I described, 
He said, you know, I've always hated Rick Trotter. I said, well, then why did you hire him? The church cannot be the employment agency for wayward Loritz children. And he did it again and kept doing it again at these conferences. It tells me he has not learned a thing in there. And at a minimum, his judgment is bad. Even if he said, well, he believed that Rick was restored and deserved that, then again, he needs to crush some tinfoil on his spiritual antenna because Rick did, in fact, do that again. It may have been doing it at those conferences. Hmm. You know, Ham Polka, the elder, who who was also part of passing him along to the new church in town, said at the time, Rick, I've talked to all the experts in this field. Rick has a better chance of kicking a crack cocaine habit than he does of of, of this paraphilia. I said, so why so why are you going to pass him along? He said, or, 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 you know, at the time, he said, we're we're going to send him to sex rehab for looks. Hmm. It's the right image that we need to we need to portray. Here's what we're doing, but he didn't believe for a second he was going to be healed. And Loritz knew better than that, too. And I told Loritz, I've had those discussions with Loritz, and he knew better and passed him along anyway. And I did ask you at one point, you know, we have the connection with Brian Loritz, so obviously there's a vested interest maybe in taking care of a family member. But beyond that, Rick Trotter was the voice of the Grizzlies, Memphis Grizzlies, kind of a local celebrity. And you were saying he kind of gave creds as far as the church being multi-ethnic, because when he led worship, it wasn't your typical white worship. It was much more of an African-American expression of worship. It was very attractive to Memphis, correct? Rick's a very talented musician. He's very talented at, at what he does. In fact, uh, more than Brian Loritz, I, I would credit the growth of, of fellowship to Rick, because at the time Rick came on, it was it was pro- while they were claiming to be a multi-ethnic church, it was probably about 90% Caucasian. Rick came on and broadened the appeal to a much wider audience. And so I want to say kudos to him, and I don't. I mean, I, I, I think he's talented in that regard. In fact, I think he's more responsible for the growth of fellowship than, than Brian Loritz is. Hmm. That's attractive. Why would downtown Prez hire him? In addition to Crawford Loritz, knowing all the players involved and whatnot, he puts butts in the seats. As a performer, he's good. Hmm. As a human being, less so. You know, why would they why would they continue to do this? Because all these guys are in cahoots. So when I when I would talk to other churches, literally, they'd say they'd say, Greg, you need to fight this. You go. I said, great. You'll stand by me. Right. And they say, well, no, I've got to be I'm on the lecture circuit with these guys. I can't do that because it damages their capability to earn a living. I mean, there's a lot of double dipping and triple dipping that's going on with all these churches. I mean, for Bryson, Bryson's taking, you know, he's getting paid from fellowship. I presume he's getting paid from downline as well. Probably gets paid from Sage Hill, gets paid from his authentic manhood. None of the rest of us in normal business world get to triple dip. If I have an electrician company, my electricians don't get to go work for somebody else for a while and get paid. They don't say, hey, by the way, I'm going to take, take this week you're going to pay me. It doesn't count as vacation. And I'm going to go work at some other place and get paid from them too. Yes. It's a huge, huge cabal of people involved in a, in a profiteering one hand washes the other. Yes. We've seen that at every juncture when we reached out to um, different staff members about standing up and speaking up against this. Greg and I both had staff members that have said, we can't get involved. This is how we earn a living. We can't speak up against this. And didn't you speak to the youth pastor at Fellowship, currently at Fellowship Church? Uh, sure. Brian no, Crenshaw. He and I had this discussion. He said, Greg, he said, you need to go. You need to pursue this. He said, I'm afraid of what God's going to do to this place because of this. I said, great, you're going to stand up with me, right? He said, well, no, we're building a new house. (laughs) (laughs) And that, I know I hate to say it, but that's just been pervasive. That's the evangelical industrial complex. I write about it all the time, but it is pervasive and the double dipping. You have pastors that get full-time salaries for preaching sermons, and then somebody edits them, recycles them, and puts them on radio, and then they take, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars salary from the radio ministry. It's just unbelievable. Right. And that's how you get to be a paid member of the board of Chick-fil-A and all this sort of thing, too, is because you give them both ethnic and Christian cred mm. by being a, a popular African-American pastor mm. uh, that does this. It's it's a crazy deal. You know, we've always the evangelicals have always been quick to jump on the Catholics and for the corruption and the sexual corruption within the Catholic Church. Mm. But evangelicals have been much better about monetizing than the Catholics are. The Catholics monetize it, but it all goes back to the Vatican. Ultimately, there aren't a lot of rich priests standing around. The evangelicals have figured out how to get rich doing this. Oh, And they built bookstores and monuments up for mm-hmm. themselves, speaking engagements. In fact, some people had some concerns about this at uh, the seminary. And I mentioned to them, I said, you know, the funny thing is, 
they always will tell you from the pulpit, church is a battleship, not a cruise ship, right? But we're supposed to be fighting for the gospel. I said, meanwhile, when the real battles come up, the first thing these guys do is go get on a cruise ship and lead a cruise conference. <laughs> and I swear to Pete, the day after I said that, my wife came home. She said, oh, did you hear Brian Loritz is going to be leading the, whatever it was, a K-Love cruise or oh something? Oh, my gosh. I don't even. Like, it is unbelievable. I mean, it was entirely literal. Mm. And the day after I told them that, they really are leading cruise ships. And this is nonsense. And they lead very lucrative lifestyles. You know, Loritz was living in a million dollar home. You know, John Bryson uh, here lives, despite the fact Fellowship is not nearly the biggest church in town by any stretch of the imagination. Hmm. John Bryson lives in the house that was owned formerly by the family of the founder of Holiday Inn. Wow. Many, many thousands of square feet, a thousand to 2,000 square foot uh, guest house for their pool house and all this sort of thing. I mean, it's just... It's it's ridiculous, and uh, it is not above reproach. Hmm. And and the, the simplest thing to me on any of this for Summit with with Loritz is he, is he above reproach? I'm telling you, he's not. I'm telling you, he hired a pedophile, and and tried to cover it up. I'm telling you that he tried to cover up his brother-in-law. He passed him on to another church. He tried to pay off his sister, so it wouldn't look like that. Which speaking of which, Rick and Heather got six months severance. Do you know anybody else that sexually preys on a church on on their business and gets a six month severance for it? Well, I'll say this: it's not that unheard of to provide for the wife who's seen often as an innocent victim. Sure. Um, so there there is some precedent for that. I think the fact that they were trying to do it secretly that certainly is concerning. And that they were staying together and they were going to be paying his bills. I mean, that's yeah. that that would have been different if they'd been open and said, you know, what we ought to have mm-hmm. we need to take care of Heather's needs. This was not her fault. Her husband did a wicked, wicked thing, and now they've lost their income. Mm-hmm. I would say one of a couple things. One, either Crawford or Brian was well financially capable of being able to take care of their sister. And I would have, if my sister were in a situation, I'd take care of her. I wouldn't expect the church to have to cough up for it. Mm-hmm. But secondly, it'd be easy. You just have a heave. Oh, great. We're going to put an ice chest in the back. Everybody throw a little extra money in there. We're going to take care of Heather and the kids for the, while, while she sorts this out. People would have been happy to do that, but they didn't want to be open and honest about it. Mm. Well, I know you have spent years trying to expose this and even contacted a number of churches where Trotter was going to be and tried to warn them, even colleges. And it's been unbelievably frustrating because nobody has seemed to care. And really, had J.D. Greer not hired Brian Loritz, we probably wouldn't be talking about this. Had Brian not made a video and put it up on Instagram uh, recently, which caught my attention when he basically blamed the Christian media and bloggers for uh, Darren Patrick's death, a former Acts 29 pastor, former vice president of Acts 29, seemed to me very self-serving as I started to get into this because there's a reason why Brian Loritz would not want bloggers speaking because then I realized everything that was in his past, all the skeletons in his closet, and of course he doesn't want people blogging because the bloggers were the only ones that were talking about this. Everybody else was silent, and the Christian media, by and large, was silent. And so now it is coming to light. I want to talk to you. We can't go into everything that's happened over those years, although it's it's absolutely fascinating because there is a lot more and there are a lot more people involved. And sadly, I know both of you are like, we can't even go to church anymore. We don't feel like we can trust any of the church leaders. And, and that breaks my heart, although hearing your story, totally get it. But you recently participated, what I understand, there was a conference call with Dave Thompson, who is an elder at Summit Church, and Todd Unziker, who's an associate pastor there at Summit. Todd, by the way, I have been asking, I have sent him a list of questions, very detailed list of questions concerning Brian Loritz and his involvement, wanting answers to those questions. That was more than a week ago. He has not gotten back to me on those questions. What I do have is an email that someone forwarded me from Dave Thompson saying some of these things about how they're reconciling conflicting information. However, you had this conference call. My understanding, Rachel Denhollander put this together. Rachel, again, one of Larry Nasser's victims, a lawyer and advocate for sex abuse survivors. She put together this call with you 
and Jennifer and one other person who doesn't want to go on the record, so we won't name him. But then Dave Thompson, an elder at Summit, Todd Unziker, a pastor. I know you suspect there may have been other people in the room, but those were the ones that were named. You had this conversation. Again, at this point, Brian Loritz had already been hired. So they didn't come to you and interview you before they announced that they had hired Brian Loritz. But you had this call. I would like to hear, Greg, maybe you could go first, what your impression of that call was with the summit leaders who ostensibly say they're trying to research this fully and get to the bottom of it. It was not actually a research mission on their part. It was a mission to find out what Jennifer and I were willing to say. So how could they defend whatever we said? And they needed to do some sort of jujitsu. So a conversation involves questions back and forth between parties, right? They wouldn't answer any questions whatsoever. And there were always pauses before they'd say anything, which leads me to believe, and in fact, Rachel, uh, again, who's a lawyer herself, fully believes there was a lawyer in the room with them trying to tell them not to go further, not to not to answer the questions we'd asked and this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. They'd made a number of claims that everyone they talked to, in fact, even in the email you received uh, in there, as I understand it, everything they say is that, boy, everybody's got the same story and everybody says Loritz is a great guy. Well, they talked to Jennifer and I last week and Jennifer and I don't say he's a great guy. Mm-hmm. So, but that's never mentioned in there. And given that they didn't interview very many people, I would say Jennifer and I at least make up a pretty high percentage of the people they talked to, much less the people who shared very specific details about what went down. Their defense is we called these people and they said, great, thanks. We talked to the elders and the elders said, Brian wasn't at fault. Well, sure, because the elders also wanted to say they weren't at fault. Because if, if Brian was at fault, so were they, and everybody should have done jail time. So... If you ask a criminal, did you and your cohorts do anything criminal? They always say no. Ask the, ask the other people who are involved. They did with us. It didn't go well. They didn't answer any questions at all. And it was it was strictly to see what we're willing to say so that they could figure out how to have their PR flax and legal counsel uh, do it. I said, you know, I said, great. Uh, uh, I said, Todd, so do you want me to give them your email when, when the newspapers start to call? He said, uh, uh, he said, uh, no, no, you just send them to, uh, send them to the, uh, PR. You know, we've, we've got a department that handles those things. I said, but you're the one who's here in this conversation. Why shouldn't they talk to you? Hmm. And there's no answer for these sorts of things. Jennifer, what was your impression of that meeting? Well, it was interesting that Rachel had told us that the staff at Summit had some concerns about bringing Brian Loritz on. And so they had gone through all of the reports that they could find, all of the blogs, all of the comments, mm-hmm. and that um, they couldn't reconcile that with what Brian was saying. And so that they had an interest in um, talking to someone who was there at the time that could provide clarification, could provide facts, and could give some firsthand testimony. And so this uh, Zoom call was set up, and at the last minute, we were told it wouldn't be on Zoom, that it would be a conference line. And it was a little unsettling because then we had no way of knowing who was on the call. We were told that it was going to be just um, the two staff from Summit and then Rachel and us. And so it was a little disconcerting. And then once we got on the call, it became immediately evident that they weren't interested in discerning or bridging the gap between um, Brian's statement and what they had been reading. How did that become evident? What was it that made you feel that way? They had asked me what, if any, proof I had. And I think they wanted access to that proof and evidence. And I pushed back a little bit and said, what kind of proof and evidence did you ask for from Brian? And who did you talk to? And what victims have you talked to? Because I now know a list of 50 names of people that are involved. And um, I've started reaching out to them and none of them have been contacted. And they said that they were not here to speak or to ask questions. They just wanted information on what we knew. And when I asked them, what specific information do you need from us? What questions can we answer that can fill in some of the discrepancies between what has been reported and what Brian Loritz has said? And they said nothing. 
we're just here to listen to whatever you want to say. They wanted to listen to what you had to say. They wanted to know what proof you might have, but they didn't ask you any questions. They didn't, they didn't seem inquisitive or curious about your firsthand account of what happened? No, it, not at all. Not at all. It was astonishing to me. So I stopped and restated my question and said, you're telling me that there's absolutely no information that would be useful for your proceeding with an investigation. There's no information that Greg or I could give to you um, of firsthand knowledge, conversations that would be helpful in discerning what's true between what's being reported in by Loretz and what's being reported in the media. And they said, absolutely not. Wow. Almost as concerning as not trying to get to the bottom of the truth is that there was no desire on their part to do any ministry. Mm -hmm. When we start this phone conversation, we start with a prayer. Mm -hmm. There was no prayer. There was no, hey, by the way, because of all this, I can point to the specific date. I haven't been in a church in nine years, and I don't envision I will ever go back. Mm -hmm. There was not Hey, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. And I hate to see a guy who's been in leadership derailed by this. And how can we help? None, no concern whatsoever. That was such a striking point to me that there was no time to pray. And even starting from the very beginning, the people that in ministry, in leadership at Fellowship Memphis, all the way till the time when I left the church, not once did any single one of them ask me spiritually how I was doing, if I was okay mentally, emotionally, why I was leaving the church. Um, and it continued to this conversation with Summit. You mentioned that they had uh, care well or caring well. Yes. And I thought that is unbelievable that the leaders of what is supposed to be a ministry uh, caring for others, mm -hmm. not once ask how we were spiritually and if there was anything that they could do, if we were back in um, church, how we had wrestled with that. And that's their whole business. That's their right. whole purpose is to minister and care for the souls of others. And not once was that a part of the conversation. Not once was that brought up as a concern. In fact, the only person that ever asked me how I was doing spiritually and how I was doing emotionally and mentally with this was Greg Selby. And I remember that was so striking. The first time I talked to him about what all had happened, he said, gosh, I'm sorry. I had no idea that, that it was you. And are you okay? Yes. And um, it was just striking because I thought that was the first time anybody had said, this is terribly wrong. And your relationship with God and your Savior is the most important. Mm. In that conversation, though, I remember you did mention to me that at one point, I think it was near the end, and I think the conversation had gone kind of sideways at that point, they did say to you that they were sorry about what Rick Trotter had done to you. I was beyond offended. <laughs> okay, in that conversation, it wasn't a discussion about what Rick Trotter did or, or the incidents that happened. We didn't get into that. We didn't discuss the ramifications of that or the details of that. What we did spend our time talking about was Brian Loritz's personal involvement in the cover-up. And so at the end of the call, one of the staff members said, we'd like to apologize for what Rick Trotter did to you. And that was just unfathomable. And I told them like how offensive that is. Like that wasn't even what we were here to talk about. We hardly even covered any information about that. What we spent the majority of time talking about was how Brian Loretz was actively covering up abuse and using his power to silence victims. And they wanted to apologize for what Rick Trotter did. And when I called that to their attention, they just said the call was over and that was the end of the conversation. Mm -hmm. You've told me, Jen, that compared to what Rick Trotter did to you and the trauma that you felt, which was sizable, but compared to the cover-up and the way the church has treated you and has responded to it, what Rick did pales in comparison, correct? 
every victim that I've talked to has agreed that that was a terrible, terrible, terrible thing that shouldn't have been allowed to continue. But the real damage has been done by the manipulation, the intimidation, and the effort to silence and keep separate and discredit all of the victims has been the most traumatic and ongoing harm far greater than the incident that happened in 2010. Mm. And it's had so many longer lasting effects than just that incident in 2010. Rick, oddly, is is a much better guy than the other people in here, despite the monstrous things that he did. His brain is clearly broken, and he has a sickness and an illness. It shouldn't be on the pulpit again, but he's somehow more sympathetic than these other guys. These other guys have been systematic in their evil and are unapologetic about it. Rick would probably at least have the self-awareness to apologize for what he'd done. These other guys don't. And mm. that's that's the real sickness. I'd be back in church. I'm not, I didn't abandon church because I can't believe somebody did something as wicked as Rick did. It was hard for me to get my head around because it was sick and gross. But I understand the sinful nature. What I couldn't understand was that everybody was complicit. That was the part that got me. It was that Brian Loritz and these other guys were part of a systematic cover-up, and it, and it went beyond their church, went to other churches. Again, you know, the, the downtown prez that you mentioned, he got caught again, ironically, taking videos of that pastor's daughter, mm. which is he, the, that pastor is too ignorant to even see the irony in there that God is basically beating him over the head with it, going, by the way, you screwed up. And now we're putting this guy back in leadership again, at a very minimum, even if you didn't think what he was doing was evil and maybe he tried to disassociate himself, you'd have to say he's got less common sense than God gave a great nut. My 13-year-old can tell you that this is immoral and you don't do it. And you don't pass along somebody that's that's uh, been taking videos of women and children in the bathrooms. And these guys can't discern that. Hmm. That's weird. That's the part that I can't reconcile is that there's a dark, evil presence to be able to blind you to that. Hmm. And to have it happen over and over again. And to not just have, if it was just Brian, he said, well, it's my family. And he never passed him along. I would get it. Hmm. But that you had an entire group of people. And now... The Southern Baptist Convention covering up this stuff when they know they've got a guy who hired a pedophile, covered up his brother-in-law, passed him on to another church, has clearly lied about it, and you're going to get into another element that totally calls his character into question. I couldn't hire that guy to work in a secular business, much less would I put him on the pulpit. And let me just say, because you you mentioned this, Jennifer, the other victims, and that you know of 50 victims now. I have not gone through that entire list. I have contacted some of them. And because, I mean, right now I feel like it's important to get this information out as quickly as possible. I have contacted Roseanne, the woman who first discovered this video. She hasn't called me back. I've tried. It is hard to get victims to speak. But I'll say this even right now. If you're a victim and you're a part of this and you know some of the truth about it, contact me through my website, julieroys.com. There's a contact form right there. You can reach me. I would love to hear your story. We need to get the truth out about what actually happened. But let me just read. Again, I didn't get, even though I've asked repeatedly for answers to my questions, I have not received those from Summit. However, I have received an email that was forwarded to me from somebody who asked several questions to Dave Thompson, an elder at Summit, and the response that he received, he forwarded to me. And it's it's kind of long. I'm not going to read everything. Dave Thompson writes, uh, Pastor Brian freely admitted that he has learned a lot over the past 10 years. Looking back, he now sees that he could have done things better. Among the changes Brian would have made in hindsight is a more careful process of documentation that ensured greater accountability. Moreover, he wishes he had done more to prevent future ministry assignment for his brother-in-law. Indeed, some crimes, particularly those that involve abuse, remove a man or woman who commits them from any potential future church office. It says, despite these reflective assessments of Brian's leadership in this matter, it became abundantly clear to Summit elders that Brian had not attempted in any way to cover up the incidents of abuse that occurred at Fellowship Memphis in 2010, protect the abuser, or discourage victims from seeking justice for their abusers. In fact, our thorough background check, interviews, and examination revealed quite the opposite. Let me just say, this letter was written after 
your conversation with Dave Thompson and Todd Unziker there at Summit. So they don't mention any of that, but he does say, Brian reported to us that he spoke to only two victims at the time of the incident before being removed from the case by the elders. He was removed by the elders due to his familiar relationship with both the perpetrator and the victim. We spoke directly to the other victim, who was not a family member. One of the victims was a sister of Brian. That person confirmed that Brian did indeed encourage them to prosecute, going so far as to say that Brian told them that he would pursue prosecution if he was in this person's shoes. The victim also confirmed that Brian was removed from the matter early in the process. Let me just stop there. What do you think of the statement so far and this talking to victims? Apparently, they talked to two victims. One is a family member of Brian's. But the other one said, Brian encouraged us to prosecute. The one he would have talked to was the one that handed him the video in the first place. That would be Roseanne, who was on the video and was ultimately went to go live and, and eat, presumably rent free and eat free and all that at Hamp Holcomb's place. And they didn't even talk to her. Like they did not even reach out to her. So Summit didn't even bother to reach out to the most vocal or well-known victims, they failed to reach out to me. They failed to reach out to Roseanne. They failed to reach out to Greg. And it wasn't until Rachel had set up that meeting that we spoke and none of our statements are included in in their statement um, at all. And we don't know who this other victim is. You're saying you think it was Roseanne. Well, he had to have talked to her to some degree. She handed him the video. Yes. So, yeah, the, the statement doesn't make sense. If they're referring to the only two victims that he talked to before being removed from the case, right, right it would have to be Roseanne and his sister, right? Right. And yet they're saying they spoke directly to the other victim who was not a family member. That has to be Roseanne. And yet you're telling me, Jennifer, that you've talked to Roseanne. She hasn't talked to me, so I don't have this directly from her. But you're saying you've talked directly to Roseanne. And she didn't even know about this, correct? Um, Summit has never reached out to Roseanne. That's unbelievable. If he's saying that she was one of the people that he talked to, he hasn't followed back up with her and Summit has not followed back up with her is inexcusable. They need to put some plexial on this leaky raft of a story that they've got because it's it's sinking. And the fact that they <laughs> talked to they talked to his sister and his sister backed him up, that doesn't hold a whole lot of water with me to say, oh, yeah, the sister said Brian did exactly the right thing. Well, yeah, it's all bogus. Well, I would like to know who this victim is because I don't know how it could be anyone other than Roseanne. Right. But they're saying somebody backed up Brian's story. So would like to know who that person is. Maybe Brian had his wife pretend to be somebody. I mean, I've got no idea who they this This investigation is such a sham, given that, again, they never contacted Jennifer and they never contacted me because they can't claim they didn't know or didn't know how to get a hold of me. Because somehow in two prior incidents, their private investigators seem to be able to get a hold of me just fine when Fellowship's trying to cover this up. Hmm. They know exactly how to get a hold of me. He's not going to call me because he knows I know the truth and I will blister his behind. Well, Brian Loritz and I were on a texting basis before this happened in 2010, so I know he knows how to reach out to me. But if he was so adamant about prosecuting Rick Trotter, then why didn't he do that when he was in possession of the recordings? There was nothing stopping him if he felt like justice needed to be done. There was nothing stopping him from moving forward with a police report and prosecuting him. Why did he put the responsibility on his sister and on other victims to take the lead and to take care of this when he was in possession of the recordings, when he had knowledge of the incident? And when he was likely on videos that were reported, he was using the same restroom I was using. So why did if why didn't he then um, press charges and report this to the police and pursue prosecution if that's what he so adamantly wanted? Moreover, if you say I didn't know, then who told you that they went to the police? Because you need to throw them under the bus. The reason you won't is because they're going to throw you back under the bus and they're going to say you knew it all along. Who are you trying to kid? Well, it is interesting. Nobody is taking responsibility for what happened to that phone. Right. So Brian either knows or one of the elders know. 
Nobody's taking responsibility. And if this story is going to be believable, whoever destroyed this phone needs to come forward and own it. Summit supposedly asked Brian and he would, he would not tell him. I said, who told you that? If, if, if they told you, who told you that? Mm. And he wouldn't answer. And that was apparently good enough for them. Okay. Well, he didn't want to answer. Fair enough. Welcome. Welcome to Summit. <laughs> we care well. Yeah. Here's what they're saying now. Brian told us that he turned over the phone to the elders the day after it was given to him, that he never saw it again. And because he was subsequently removed from the matter, he has no knowledge as to what the elders did with the phone. We connected with Fellowship Memphis, both current and former pastors, to attempt to confirm matters as Brian's involvement in the 2010 matter. We wanted to see if there were any significant discrepancies in the story. While they could not verify all the detail due to passage of time, personnel changes, and poor documentation, they did not dispute in any part of Brian's statement. And let me just say to your point a little bit earlier, Greg, this seems a little bit like investigating Nixon by asking Liddy and uh, Haldeman what happened. Right. I mean, seriously, right. this is uh, laughable. Well, let me get back to this letter. Some other things they said. Out of concern that minors may have been involved, Brian instructed his staff to call Child Protective Services, CPS, and advised that he received oral reports from a staff member that CPS was contacted. We also spoke with an additional staff member who served at Fellowship Memphis at the time and confirmed that CPS was contacted. We contacted CPS to find out what reports they had received. They told us they would not release the information except to a victim and their attorney, and that, if any such records exist... They likely have been destroyed due to their policy of keeping information on file for only a fixed amount of time. I don't know even what, what to say about that. Apparently, there's a staff person, an unnamed staff person. Right. So not even an elder. So basically, it'd be like if this happened at my company and I said, hey, I told the secretary to report it. And well, I didn't follow up on it, see if she really did or not. And I didn't fire him if he didn't. I mean, that's crazy. And I don't remember CPS being mentioned in the statement that Downtown Church and Fellowship Church made in 2016. Nothing about right. that. In fact, there was talk that there were no minors involved. And then I published uh, recently a tweet that Brian Luritz had, had sent out back in 2016 saying that, what are you talking about? I contact, or we, he used we, we contacted DCS and the police and then I said, why wasn't he contacted DCS if there were no minors involved? Now there's a statement about DCS. And now they're talking about, it, whereas this is somewhat new outside of that, that tweet, but again, not confirmed. The story's malleable uh, on their part to whatever, whatever we have to change the details of the story to to cover ourselves, we're willing to do is what they're saying. Right. It's wicked. I mean, to me, again, if there's this much doubt, there's any of 10,000 pastors you could have to come to come take that position that they have open at Summit right now. Hmm. Why are they so determined to protect Brian Moritz on this? When, again, no reasonable person would. Let me go back to this statement. Uh, they also talk about Brian reaching out to authorities. A Fellowship Memphis staff member, unnamed again, right. from 2010, confirmed to us that they did contact appropriate authorities based on Brian's instructions to do so. Our legal counsel contacted the Memphis Police Department and their central records office to inquire if a police report or any documentation on this matter existed. They advised that no such report or documentation existed regarding this matter, in part because they no longer retain such records due to the passage of time. That in and of itself, to me, I just take a little bit of umbrage on that because in 2016, as you mentioned earlier, the records did exist and the police said we were never contacted. Right. Jennifer, you contacted police. They said we were never contacted. That's correct. Now... They're claiming that there's a staff person that says police were contacted. There's no corroboration for that. Right. So there's a number of assertions in here that, one, either can't be corroborated, or two, involve the exact people who were involved in this cover-up to begin with. Who have a vested interest. Yeah. And to be able to say with conclusive, like they do here, and then they close— there is an unresolved question about the records, and they're a little bit frustrated that they can't get these records. 
However, even with that unresolved question, it was clear to us, for his part, Brian did not attempt to protect the abuser or discourage the victims from pursuing justice. It was clear that he not only communicated openness to prosecuting the offender, he desired and encouraged it. Furthermore, he has expressed not only his regret for not doing more to ensure that the church he was a part of was ready to deal with such an event, but also an eagerness to learn more about what best practices are for prevention, reporting, and care, and to help promote them in churches so that churches are safe from abusers and places of safety for the abused. Right, which, which part of it was clear that he tried to do this involves church discipline for anybody that opens their mouth. When was the statement made? Monday, June 1st. After they talked to us last week. Last week in May. Okay, shame on Summit for taking a full hour to meet with Greg and I to gain more insight and information and then put out this blatantly false statement in complete contradiction to what we testified to and what we spelled out for them. Well, you might say, whose testimony holds more weight, Brian's or or mine? Here's what I would say to that. One of us has ever ever in his life ever stood up to protect the church from a sexual predator, and it's not Brian. And that's the one they want to hire. That's weird. Well, he is hired. Right now, he is the executive pastor at Summit. Right now, Moody Publishers just published his new book, The Dad Difference. And from what I hear through the grapevine, Brian is being groomed for a large leadership position in the Southern Baptist Convention. Friends, I hope if you're listening right now, that you will take these matters to heart, that you will speak to people uh, if you're related at all to this church or to the Southern Baptist Convention, to Moody Publishers, that you will say something and you will let your voice be heard just like Greg and Jennifer did today. Jennifer and Greg, I am so appreciative. I know you guys have taken so many lumps for what you have done and for speaking out, but thank you from the bottom of my heart for the sake of the church for the sake of victims, and most of all, for the sake of the reputation of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us, and thank you for your um, perseverance on this. Well, I am glad to do it and glad to be a part of it. And thanks so much for everybody who's listening right now to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roy's. If you'd like to find me online, just go to julieroy, spelled R-O-Y-S, dot com. Also, if you'd like to help me continue my investigative work, please consider making a donation and support this ministry. Also pray for this ministry. I desperately need your prayers and I rely on your support. Thanks again for listening and engaging. And again, please work on your own part. Fight for the purity of the church. You're a part of this too. God bless. God bless.